here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. <laughs> Meanwhile, how you doing? 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 All right, let's do it. Um, well, hey, let's uh, let's do our pitch before we go into my flick of the week. Then, so we're still on the same mummy uh, all right. path. All right. You want to go first? Or you want me to go first? I, I can go first because I I don't know how. I mean, and look, this is going to be. I'm not fully. It's not fully realized yet. Uh, I don't have a third act for mine. <laughs> like I pretty, I I got Dude, some of a third act. But okay. When I when I told Joe that we're doing a pitch, yeah. Uh, the, basically, you have a week to throw together a pitch. Yeah. Generally, if you have a scriptman or a pitch or whatever else, you have longer than a week. So this is what we had to put together in a week. Okay. Yeah. So let me go first. Mine's long. Okay. Mine's really long. Okay. And then we'll do that. I thought you said to keep it short and sweet. Like I wanted you to keep yours short and sweet because <laughs> you're stupid, cause, right? Yeah. No, because I can, I can write when I need to write. Yeah. Okay. So basically, um, a pitch is background information plus uh, what what the what the movie could be. Okay. Yeah. And since we're working with the dark universe concept, we're incorporating a whole lot of imagery here. What we're keeping out of this is the fact that Dr. Jekyll is still around, and he's not a good guy. There are vampires, werewolves, invisible men, Frankenstein's monsters, Black Lagoon creatures, and all sorts of other wink-wink nonsense to let the audience know that we're doing this for them. Sort of. That, that was a sarcastic statement. We don't need that crap. What we need is an actual story where the mummy really doesn't show up until near the end, building up the horror of the creature. We're also going to introduce a new mummy-type character called the Herald. The Herald is someone that only they can bring about the resurrection of the mummy. He does have powers, and this is where the seven biblical plagues, it's actually ten, where the ten plagues come from. I'm going to fix that. <clears throat> Each one showing the coming of the mummy in one form of a, or another. Or, you know, that he's, he's on his way. Our hero is not the atypical hero type. I, I named him William Cheney after Lon, Ch- Lon Chaney. But his name is not William Cheney. His, his actual name is Gabriel Vaughn. <clears throat> but we're going with William Cheney in this one. I didn't feel like changing it. It is a person of special circumstances that should be told over the course of several movies. We learn about the man in this movie. He has a sidekick named Alan, kind of a bruiser type, extremely Alan. intelligent. Alan. Yeah. And only uses his brawn as a last-minute go-to before exa- exhausting all his options. He's not huge like muscular, but he will kick someone's ass, no question about it. And there's something about Alan that is also a bit odd or off. Alan is always wearing a long coat. It's like Batman's belt. It doesn't have the answer, but it does contain cool gadgets. Well, the audience doesn't know about it, Heroes. William is an occult detective. But beyond that, he's an angel bound to Earth. Because of an ancient ritual, he cannot return to heaven. He has also volunteered for this position. At first, it was to hunt rogue angels, demons, and other types. You know, heard of the legend of Hercules? Yep, that's him. Perseus? Yep, all of those legends can be attributed to him or people like him or angels like him. Alan, to take a page from Keith Giffen's Trencher, is a trencher. It's his job to cage the rogue souls and return them to purgatory. How they have escaped, no one knows. Sometimes, like ghosts, they are bound to earth until they are released. Some of them have been summoned by ancient spells. He has advanced gadgets and keeps them to himself. He also has a mass memory eraser, kind of like Men in Black. When the story begins, Alan is nowhere in sight and has been gone for some time. 
There are also other trencher types, but they don't stay on Earth for long. Their job takes them around the cosmos. Alan likes Earth, and he's become enamored of William, a best friend of types. But something has happened to break them, to break apart the team, as it were. Nothing that can't be fixed. Okay, getting down to the nitty-gritty. This is not the story of the mummy. The mummy is a supernatural element to the story. The plagues of the mummy are his way of trying to get back into the world. It rips in the universe where the doorway is open for brief moments, and he's able to take his revenge, all brought about by the Herald. There is, quote-unquote, no defeating the mummy. He is eternal. For this story, like the Ark of the Covenant, the mummy has a physical form, but since he has ascended to a higher plane, the things keeping him rooted to the earth, his phylacteries have been scattered. Phylacteries are like white, you know, like they hold your soul, right? Okay, like Horcruxes? <laughs> yeah. There are seven of them. <laughs> the Herald has found seven of them, hence the plagues. But he, or it should be ten. There's ten of them. There's ten phylacteries plus one extra to make the mummy immortal. Hence the plagues, but he needs the 11th to bring about the return of the mummy, Karis. This is based off of the second mummy movie, The Hand of the Mummy and Tomb of the Mummy. Okay. The other part of this is we don't need to know where the phylacteries are or how they are found. We don't need to know when the phylacteries are found or how they are found. This will happen as the story goes on where the fucking 10 plagues start to appear on screen. Um... Let me just make sure. All right. The movie starts off similar to Raiders of the Lost Ark. If you can remember how that starts off, it's very basic. There's no huge fanfare. There's no computer graphics, enhanced titles with the wham-bam noises. It opens with a single pull-down shot of the Universal Studios Dark Universe logo, which is the only special effect for the opening. As the logo turns to the Dark Universe side, the camera pans back until it's just a sliver of light, a waning crescent. Moon. Mm Mm-hmm. The camera keeps on pulling back until we are focused on a large statue in Cairo. It's not a slow pullback. It's pretty quick to get on with the story. The city of Cairo. A man, Muhammad, sits at a desk admiring a brilliant-looking jewel. Sitting across from him, another man, American, his partner, smiling as well. There, there is some dialogue. It exists, the American man says. By Allah, is beautiful. He keeps looking at the, 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 Muhammad keeps looking at the gem with his jeweler's glass, turning it slowly. Does anyone else know about it? No. I found it hidden in a compartment while searching the tomb. Except the American used his connections to let a few people know of the existence of the Eye of Horus, higher ups in a small corporation that he works for known as Gateway. Outside, an extremely violent storm is brewing. What seems to be a new statue can be seen in the center of the city. People are milling around it. The statue just appeared out of nowhere, standing there. Tourists, journalists, locals are all talking and pointing, confused as to how this happened, until it comes alive. It's 40 feet tall, and it's Karis, the mummy, the creature. His arms outspread, his palms are to the sky. In Egyptian, he says, you buried me and left me for dead, erased from history and forgotten to the world, so I shall pay you back. Winds swirl, lightning strikes, but no rain. It's the gathering of a massive dust storm, with this 40-foot statue standing straight in the middle of it. Tornadoes spin on four sides of the statue, creating gusts and churning the dirt, moving out into the city. Thunder clouds swarm in, the sun, in, swarm in. The sunlight is blocked and the land is covered in darkness and it keeps getting darker until we fade out. The first of the seven plagues have been, have been unleashed and we fade into London, England. Fifty years after Jack the Ripper case was closed, the murders have started up again in Whitechapel. As a man walks into the camera shot, slows down for a second as he eyes the area. It's a slum. Hookers run down buildings. There's shit in the road. 
literally, almost as if it hasn't changed in 50 years. There are new buildings going up, and there's the hospital nearby. For whatever reason, this area seems to be a relic, never changing, almost as if it's stuck in a time loop, another dimension, but people can just walk into and out of it. We follow William, although not by himself. He's with two other men, uh, policemen. They are shadowing him. William walks through the streets, stopping at one of them. He lightly touches the side of a building, looks at his fingers and rubs them clean. The other men rush up and look at the building. Blood, fresh, he's close. Most likely he's following us. If he's following us, we would have been dead already, the other says. They quickly resume following William as they head towards the docks of the Thames River. William stops and pulls something out of his jacket and he motions for his shadows to come closer. And finally turns so that we can see his face. He has already pocketed the item he was looking at. He reaches into a satchel and produces two revolvers. You're going to need these. (coughs) William nods to an abandoned building near the end. In there, the two men follow, entering into an empty building, almost like a warehouse. It's a large office building, multiple stories. The second story is sagging in some places, while in other places it has completely fallen in, making it a maze of, of sorts. There are muffled cries that can be heard coming from somewhere deep within the building. The stairs that ring the building heading towards the second level are shattered and hanging. There is no access to a second level. There are offices that have been abandoned for some time, wood and glass litter the floor. Old-time offices and cubicles. Papers also litter. These are old-time offices and cubicles, with paper littering the floor as if the company or whoever occupied this building left in a hurry. Smack dab in the middle of the floor is an old, rusted elevator. It just sits there now. The men walk through slowly. What are we looking for? William stops and puts his back to one of the cubicles that are still partially intact. We're looking for a man. He's yay tall, broad-shouldered, hat and cloak. There's something about him almost as if he's distorted from your view, kind of blurry. You know we're in the same place as the murders 50 years ago. That's why I'm here, William says. You're saying that Jack the Ripper is working again? Exactly, and he's here now, and we're going to stop him. A scream lets out, and Joseph starts to rush out. William catches him just before one of the traps is set off. Slowly. This place is trapped. He points down at a wire and shows the length of it, terminating what appears to be an explosive. He slowly steps over it with the other two following suit. They move further into the building, getting closer to the cry. There's another set of traps along the way, but William is able to avoid it, which would have caused the majority of the rest of the warehouse to collapse in on itself. They get to the end of the warehouse, which seems like it took forever, <clears throat> and they see a man hunched over another person. Joseph, who's not taking any chances, as he sees that it's a woman strapped to a dentist chair, struggle in the flash of something. He charges in. He charges at the standing figure and jumps on him. The figure shrugs off Joseph, and the man bounces a few times. The figure turns, and it's Jack the Ripper. His features are elongated, almost like a caricature of who he was. His skin is gray, mottled. Warts or boils stretch across his face. He's also shimmering like a bad photo, but in truth, he's stuck between two worlds. He's corporeal, you can touch him, and he's solid. But it seems as if he's moving at a different speed or if there's something wrong with the film in and of itself. The truth is much more different. The truth is that this is just a vessel. It's been possessed by Jack the Ripper, and he's been working again. It doesn't matter how he possessed the man whose body he's in now. All that matters is that Jack pulls out a blade that at once is huge, and secondly, glows with a greenish tint. Extremely wicked-looking blade. It's thin and sharp. He turns on Joseph, who has pulled out his gun and pulls the trigger, somehow missing at almost point-blank range. Alfred and William move towards the girl, William guiding Alfred to tie... Alfred is one of the other bobbies, if you want to call it that. To untie the woman while William gets ready to attack Jack. Alfred gets to work, and it's quite a simple task. William pulls out his weapon and is able to get a shot off at Jack before Jack can slice into Alfred. <coughs> 
Jack turns on William and Joseph gets up. They all notice that Jack has grown bigger. His clothes have stretched and the seams have started to shred apart. He grins wickedly at William and brings the knife up close to his face, <clears throat> mixing with the gray in, the, in a weird phantasmagoric look. You won't bring me in, William. William steps back, pushing Alfred and the girl away. I didn't get to finish my job last time. Jack steps forward. Now there are four of you. Mother will be pleased. William looks at him kind of quizzically, like, what? Yes, mother will be pleased, more to himself than anything else. Jack swipes at William, cutting his jacket. There is a knockdown, drag-out fight. Back and forth, William versus Jack the Ripper. Think of, it like, think of Jack like the Joker, cackling maniacally, saying things that don't make sense as if he's talking to someone else in the room. He's mad, like crazy mad. William, known for keeping his cool, is a bit unnerved by the prospect. Jack is uncaring in his manner. Two complete opposites. William is very controlled in his fighting style, more defensive than anything else, while Jack is wild. Unpredictable in some cases, but his fighting style is almost as if he's fighting a secondary battle for control of his body. Spazzy, jerky, like Elaine Seinfeld dancing. Or Elaine from Seinfeld dancing. <laughs> Jack jumps back and yells for the other to get out. He can... Uh, uh, not Jack, it's William. Jack jumps back, and William yells out for the others to get out. He can take care of this. The fight is fast and furious and wicked, but William prevails. As Jack is lying there, he tells the others to get moving. William pulls out a wicked-looking device and attaches it to Jack's mouth and presses a blue button. A blue-white arc of light comes out of it. Jack's body begins to shrink and spasm, and we hear the telltale scream of Jack as he is sucked into the device and locked away. William grabs the device. Just as that happened, another light shines down onto the husk of what was Jack. It is a bright, yellowish light. Voices, however dim, can be heard. It's a magnificent visual, almost kind of like the opening of the gates to heaven. The floor starts to burn. William's clothes start to smoke and smolder. The walls begin to peel when, the, when that happens. The building starts to shake, an earthquake starts, and the building is slowly ripped apart. The men run out. As the girl slips and falls, William grabs her. Joseph runs towards the exit, forgetting the tripwire as it ignites the bomb, blowing a hole in the floor of the building and killing the man. At full speed, William can't stop, so he propels the girl forward, throwing her over what's remaining of the, the, the... He throws her over the hole while he stumbles and falls in. He tries to climb out, but water has been seeping in from the crack where the Thames River is and is starting to fill. He is able to get out of the collapsing warehouse. The Thames is filling the basement of the warehouse up, and William is wading through the muck as he reaches the outside of the building, a whistle signal in hand <coughs> reaches out to him. He grabs it, realizing that it's Alfred and the girl. She's been injured, and psychologically she is fucking messed up, but they made it out okay. A brilliant white light is shining through the middle of the ruined building as a fireball engulfs the former body of Jack the Ripper, setting the warehouse on fire or fully engulfing in flames. William, Alfred, and the girl can only stand there as the district starts to go up. A fire brigade shows up sometime later, but Jack has disappeared. Well, at least the body is gone. And it wasn't Jack that was put into that device. We fade away, back to Cairo, and plague number two. The second phylactery has been opened, and this one brings about the plague of frogs. They are everywhere in everything. People are in the streets crying and praying. The man, Karras, is still standing on, one t on top of one of the temples of the city, smiling and laughing. It should be Pac-Man frogs. Those things are fucking assholes. Yeah. When they're thin, holy shit. They got one tooth, <laughs> and they will fuck you up. As we cut to a large warehouse, think of Area 51 from Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. 
<laughs> That's exactly where we are. Right. It is Area 51 before it becomes Area 51. Yeah. We see William working on cataloging some pieces that have found their way to their to his warehouse. A man approaches him. It's his. It's Walter Jansen, curator, part owner, and the money man behind this enterprise. They meet up and start speaking. They have a mutual respect for one another. William explaining that Jack had escaped. The district was torched, and he hasn't been seen. Walter is okay with that. It's something that they will catch up to in the near future, meaning a sequel. William gives Walter several other chips or creds or whatever he keeps these souls in, knowing so you know that he's been busy soul collecting, right? Walter is pleased to see that, but there are benefactors waiting for them in the library. Walter tells William that the device they use to capture Jack doesn't contain Jack's soul. It contains the soul of the man Jack possessed. Apparently, Jack pushed out the man during the event. William, Jack's soul wasn't the one that was captured. What? But, it, you know, William says, but it's too late to continue the conversation as headquarters has shown up in its meeting time. And the very first question is, have you been listening to the news? No, why was ha- happening? So the visitors explain what's going on, that biblical plagues have been unleashed, but not in the order that the Bible has ordained. Darkness has covered the land, the frogs, the lice, in the form of a massive sandstorm, and the livestock disease and boils. That leaves about three left. We learn that there are ten phylacteries that have to be opened to bring about the return of Karis, with the final piece being the Eye of Horus, which is to be crushed and consumed for eternal life. The eye has been found and is hidden. They need to get to Cairo and meet with the American counter with their American counterpart there, Jefferson, who we've already met at the beginning of the movie. He can help them, but first they have to get Ellen, the trencher. William knows where Trencher is, finds him and recruits him. Trencher has been on a hunt, so this will be an action sequence, fight and chase. Trencher has found a werewolf. Again, another connection to the dark universe. It's a good fight, but Trencher prevails, pulling the soul out. Unfortunately, the man that was the werewolf doesn't survive. Upon getting to Cairo, there is a swarm of locusts. The plane is wrecked, but they are able to land. Cairo is a mess. Bugs and frogs and lice and disease everywhere. Another storm is brewing in the background. They are able to get to the museum and meet Jefferson, where they are able to relax for a minute and talk about the plan. They need to find where the Herald is. Finding the Herald means finding Karis and putting an end to this whole thing, but there are hundreds of dig sites out there, if he's even at one of them. As they discuss this, Karis appears, proclaiming the seventh plague as fiery hail rains down from the skies. Everyone takes shelter as the city is burning, which leaves the blood to water, and that happens relatively soon after. We must make haste, for this is one plague, for there's one plague left, and that means Karis's body has been made whole. We see this happen as the Herald, as a proxy, starts to spell for Karis to make him human, water to blood. As Karis is in the tomb, filled with water, the magical properties will allow him to rise. Weakened butthole. Butthole. Weakened butthole. <laughs> a weakened butthole. When Karis comes to life, he asks for the Eye of Horus. The Herald says that they are searching for it, time for a sacrifice then. With the ranks they have, the mummy starts to feed. Desperation sets in. I'm... I I got to the third act and I'm like fuck what am I going to do now? So this is basically what happens. The the other the museum curator, his name is Muhammad, if you remember from back then. He is also part of this whole thing. He is the guy that is going to deliver the eye of Horus to the Herald. Uh-huh. But he has to fake it. So there is an attack on the museum, okay? The fucking Egyptian ninjas or whatever they are come in and attack. It's a big fight. 
he escapes or he's captured if you really want to call it that and William and the museum guy in the trencher follow suit get to the tomb and what they got to figure out is how to get the egg make sure that it's not crushed and ingested by the mummy because the if you crush the eye of Horus is life-giving uh-huh. that's what it is so if you watch in the in the mummy movie that we just did that red eye yeah. that red gem is the eye of Horus if you if you use the gem it brings something to life however I'm tweaking that <laughs> fucking bug oh but you said there were no bugs there are no bugs right. it was a spider there is no spoon there is no spoon so what has to happen is not the mummy has to ingest the eye it has to crush the eye and then basically snort it okay in order to, to bring about his immortality uh-huh. the sacrifices the tenth and final part of this plague which are <clears throat> um the death of the firstborn yeah. brings him back fully to life, crushing the egg because those are sacrifices, and he feeds off the souls of the sacrifices, right? Mm-hmm. Crushing the egg allows him to be mortal because the egg, even though it gives life, yeah. it, it will extend life. It's, it's a magical property, but you have to mix it with, you have to have a potion, basically. Okay. okay? The mummy awakens as he starts to feed he kills the herald while they're in the tomb because the herald gives him strength. And since the herald is magical, he gains the properties of the herald, okay? Mm. <clears throat> Slowly, all of the followers are killed. It's mass chaos in the fucking tomb while the heroes are able to fight it out. But they also have to avoid the mummy because his touch can cause decay and rot. Yeah. Things like that. So now it's like a Friday the 13th movie. Where they're in the fucking, they're in the dark of these tombs, right? Being chased by an unkillable machine. Yeah. Or unstoppable killing machine, I should say. Right? And there's three of them versus a horde of these guys also trying to avoid the mummy, but they also have weapons and guns. So they will shoot first and ask questions later. Don't, they don't fucking care. So there's a massive brawl inside this tomb, which is, you know, it's a good sized tomb. It's a tomb, right? Yeah. And when our hero is able to stuff the eye of Horus into the mummy and Trencher pulls out a soul gadget, and since the mummy is mortal, the soul gadget prisons and entraps the mummy, yay, the heroes win the day. <laughs> That's what they have to do. The mummy has to ingest the eye, or the eye has to be in him somewhere. You can put it in his butthole, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But what if, if it's not, if it hasn't been, like, by killing the herald, he has effectively killed the spell. You know, yeah. so the herald could have been doing the spell, and and right about as he was about to finish, he kills the herald. The heroes grab the eye, right, and 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 run away, so that they could figure out a way to fucking put that eye into him. Or yeah. they've the, the mummy goes goes off. The heroes come in and grab the eye and then chase after the mummy. Basically, is what it is. But they have to figure out a way to get him to eat or put the eye in his face or in, somewhere in him, right? Uh-huh. And then they could kill him because he will become mortal. Yeah. If he ingests the eye if after it was magically enhanced, then he becomes immortal. Okay. He's already kind of immortal. He he won't he can't die. But he doesn't but his power's waning. 
That's the whole point. Yeah. By I'm sorry. So by by doing this with the egg and magicifying it and everything else and ingesting the egg, or if you want to call the eye, then it makes him permanently immortal and ultra powerful. Okay. That's the that's the catalyst. The 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 eye of Osiris is the catalyst that will create that will make the mummy who he's supposed to be. But he has to feed on people to keep his power. Yeah. You know, and he won't die. He'll just he still has like minimal power. So he can walk around the city killing people, you know. Yeah. He, he's basically in, but that's what the trencher is for is to take and put his fucking gadget onto the mummy, soul suck the mummy out and then desi- and then they can fucking, you know, do all that shit. Yeah, move on to the next one. All right. There you go. <laughs> First off, well thought out. A lot of detail. <coughs> Bravo. I'm still missing a third act. <laughs> After saying that, you motherfucker. What? All that fucking detail and, and, and lengthy effort that you put into your presentation of, of your pitch. Now, mine in comparison is like, Daddy, I wrote a story too. You want to hear it? I do. <laughs> Fucking shit. This is my little stick figure fucking family on the fridge now. I, I told you not to put too much. I just said, yeah, right, you fuck. know, three, first act, second act, third act. Yeah, I came up with this in about 20 minutes. <laughs> fucking, well, I'm sitting here for a fucking hour in my car while my kids are in therapy writing my first fucking act. <laughs> oh, you motherfucker. All right, so uh, now this is based on. This isn't like a completely original take on what I would do with a mummy movie. Uh, I'm basing it partially on the the one that we just saw and changing a bunch of elements to it. Okay? So there's still like a basic premise where it, it, it emulates the film that we just saw. Just in my opinion, done better. Right? So you start the film off where you have... You know, your hero of the film, Tom Cruise or whoever, whatever other actor you'd rather have in his place, right? And he's a he's a renowned private sector security expert, right? Well, it starts off with him at home in the States, and he's with his teenage son. His teenage son is very interested in, in the stuff that he does, right? And his son's also, he's, he's just, I don't know, he's big into uh, mythology and stuff, um, his own. So you get a little quick introduction to his son, but then it moves on. And, and Tom Cruise, or the hero, has to go to... Help me, Tom Cruise. Has to go to the Red Sea. Or, I'm sorry, the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea, which is um, on the is- Israeli side. Okay, so on the... the, Jew- the is it you call it the Jewish side or just Israeli side, right? Because I, I looked it up and, and the Dead Sea is bordered. Like, in, in like half of the Dead Sea is on Israel side, and then the other half is, <laughs> I don't know, Saudi Arabia or whatever. Right, right. right. So, so it's the border. Yeah. So anyway, um, a tomb has been discovered um, buried underneath the Israeli side of the Dead Sea. So the re- I picked that on purpose for a few reasons. And the reason was the Dead Sea is cool in and of itself, right? Because it's the Dead Sea. It, it, it's, it's just like the Great Salt Lake where it's slowly um, getting smaller and getting more concentrated with salt so there's less things that can live in it, right? It, it, it's, it's interesting to a point. So if you use the Dead Sea, um, it's kind of cool. Like what if the Dead Sea became the Dead Sea but not because of of natural you know, elements. Instead, what if it was because this tomb 
is underneath the Dead Sea. Okay? So Tom Cruise is sent in as an American. This is how you get the American into the film, right? Is he's he comes in because he he's gonna be head of security for this for this this excavation into this tomb. And they're gonna be um, you know, they're gonna do the things that they do in this movie, right? So they go into the tomb and for whatever reasons you you add this in later on or you know explain it whatever you want there's there's not treasure in there there's artifacts in here because you of course you come to find out that this is a prison and not a not a uh, you know uh, uh, an actual tomb right instead it's a prison so tomb would have you know like if it was Tutankhamun you'd have a shitload of treasure right right this one doesn't have treasure it's got it has artifacts that for whatever reason they have some purpose or not um Tom Cruise sees an amulet and he's like, you know what? Fuck it. There's so much stuff in here. He pockets the amulet. All right. Well, unbeknownst to him, that amulet has now forever connected him to the mummy. He's the first one to touch it. He's the only one who touched it. And so now there's a bond between them where he's kind of cursed. All right. Uh, it, uh, so you would have to have something explaining or someone explaining after he's pocketed it. Yeah. That says these are the guardians of this tomb, but something's missing from this one. Yeah, and and you don't know which binds the yeah. the mummy to this tomb. And you don't and you don't know at first that 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 the amulet's going to connect him to the mummy. At first you just you think he's just grabbed an artifact. Right. Whatever, right? Well, the other thing is you can actually do a a, a Jedi mind fuck on this one. Uh-huh. And like he grabs it, but like Say you're not really 100% sure where he grabbed it from, uh-huh. and then the person starts explaining, you know, well, this one's missing this one, this one's missing this one, yeah, you know, this one and, and these do this and this and this and this, yeah. So each one has a specific, yeah, and, uh, task. And, and it, what's cool is you have it's fascinating that instead of it having an Iraq like they did with the movie, because it was obvious why they did Iraq, right? Because we have soldiers there, right. That's where we're quote unquote occupying at the moment. So they use Iraq, but I instead I use Jerusalem. Deep East Texas. Right. I use Jerusalem instead because then that you know, because we're we're friends with 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 Israel, right? Yeah. So that makes sense. And then also the Dead Sea. And and that's how far away and it's also closer. It's far away from Egypt, but it's still close at the same time. If that makes sense. Instead of it being this you're you're you know, cause, not really. Because the Iraq thing is like it's a thousand miles away, but with this one, it's far away. If you had people with fucking, you know, with with slaves and 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 uh, whatever elephants or whatever they're using I to think, travel long distances, right? I, I think like as the crow flies, Iraq and Israel are almost the same distance. Almost. I I did the map thing to, when I was doing this, because I, I needed to know at least have some kind of rational you know thing with right. it and and no israel is connected to actually touches um the the tip of uh of egypt so um you know like the i don't fuck anyway anyway so right <laughs> oh yeah you're right lebanon israel yeah so my fault yeah, my mistake right. yeah because at first i was going to have it in the gulf of uh canaan the gulf of uh it's right like down you're right there. Right, right there. there. Yeah. yeah, it's called the Gulf of Sun. I can't remember. The, it's above that. 
but yeah. It's the Red Sea. I was going to have it in there first, but then I decided to, you know, why, might as well put the Dead Sea into there. I think the Dead Souls Dead Sea, you know, there's a mystery about it, right? So, boom, I do that. And then, then you have your American connection to it. Uh, now, once the, the, uh, the sarcophagus is found and it's removed from the tomb, well, now that it's removed from the tomb, the, the, the curses that were put in place to hold the, 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 you know, the creature in that, in that sarcophagus are gone, right? Uh-huh. So now it's slowly, not this instantaneous fucking alien covenant bullshit where you get instant alien after it pops out, right? Uh-huh. Or instant mummy, right? Instead, it's slowly, very slowly regenerating as it's removed from from the uh from the from the uh, from the tomb so it gets sent to this this sarcophagus gets sent to um a uh, a uh, museum in in uh, uh Jerusalem right and it there's a quote unquote <laughs> special section for um exotic type uh discoveries right it's unknown un it's something that's unshown to the public kind of thing right Kind of like how, you know, like the Vatican has their own secret, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, at the same time, you know, Cruz thinks that his job is done, right? Well, now, I'm going to be a little fuzzy on this because I haven't fit. This is all part of my first draft right here. There's still some stuff I've left out. But to give you just a Cliff Notes version of it, um, the hero's character is now staying in a hotel. And he's in Jerusalem. And... I can fit in a reason why later, but uh, Cruz has to stay behind for a while. So he decides to ship the amulet to his son because it's a gift for his son, right? Because his son's into that stuff. He decides to ship the amulet to his son in the States and he's going to stay there for a while. Well, it doesn't matter now who touches it after Cruz or the hero. Um, it, it Once he's the first one to touch it, now he's the only one that's connected to the mummy. So now... Now you have the second act where the mummy is um, c- more coming into being and it's, it, you know, I don't know, it's taking security guards or whatever and it's, it's slowly becoming more and more powerful by getting more, uh, more substance to itself, right? Uh, then you have this whole second act where you've got, you know, the hero being chased by the mummy, blah, blah, blah. I'll fill all that shit in later. But you have all those action scenes and, and stuff like that. Then you get to the third act, and my third act is see, I I thought about the beginning of this of, of this idea, and then, well, then you but you're jumping around. I told you I had to because I, I did only had a first act done, huh. all right, and <laughs> I, I I brain farted that we were going to be doing this on a podcast, so my fault, my bad. I take responsibility, but this is what I got. Okay, so, so the second act is full of exposition, right? Yeah. So and then you get the Tom third, Cruise running. And then here's here's the kicker. This is what I, all, I I wanted to lead in was more than anything is that this movie ends with the hero fighting the mummy and then ending up having to take the place of the mummy and becoming the mummy himself, right? Why? Uh, because it's going to lead into this. Let me get to it. Um, the father becomes the mummy and then the movie ends with you cutting to the son getting the amulet in the states, okay, and there's something that you do. I know this, like fuck. It. I wanted to build this up better, but this is what I got. So, forgive me. The kid's name is familiar name, and I have to look it up. But it, you t- come to find out that this kid has the same name as one of the kids from the Monster Squad. Okay, 
And this turns out to be instead of this shared monster universe like 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 uh, Universal's doing, it's very similar. But in a, but instead, it's connected to it's like a new Monster Squad. And what it is is you've introduced the son, who's now going to through other films and montages and all that other shit is going to get older, a little bit older, and he's going to start hunting monsters, including his father, who has now become the mummy. Okay. And you have the amulet, the amulet from the Monster Squad. That's what that's from. And I don't know how you would do it to make people realize it. I don't know how you do it because a lot of people haven't seen the Monster Squad. But I, there's there's a shitload of fine-tuning, of course, to all this because this is just me throwing out an idea. That's what I do. I just throw out a fucking idea. You have all the fine-tuning with shit. Um you're like I'm I'm like the fucking idea guy and then you're the fucking script doctor, right? <laughs> and but yeah, that's that's what I wanted this all to boil down to is that this leads into a new shared universe of the Monster Squad where instead of you having all the monsters crammed into one movie, now you're spreading it out and then maybe there's an end game where you finally have the the penultimate Monster Squad movie, right? And go from there. That's what I wanted to get to. So I got to finish writing all that shit. I was hoping, because I kept thinking that you were going to do something like that, and then you were going to end it with a Monster Squad connection. No, I went with I went with going back to 1930s, you know, the 1930s. Yeah, Jack's and, back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's cool, man, because you use all that, that, um, that, that mytho- you know, well, it's not mythology, but you know what I mean. The, you know, because of the Jack the Ripper thing. And- yeah, I, I I based it off of something I was working on anyways. Yeah. Um, because I'm still working, I'm still writing this idea. Yeah. About you know, before Universal even did this Dark Universe thing, I had ideas for Frankenstein and the Invisible Man and all this other stuff. Uh huh. And I've been working that idea. Yeah. And then finally, it was like, let's try and do a pitch for the mummy. I'm like, fuck it, I'm gonna throw in my ideas that I'm using anyways. Uh-huh. Problem is, is that I was, I like most of the names that I'm using, William and Alfred and Joseph, and with the exception of Walter, the other names that I put in there were just placeholder names because I had already written a whole bunch of shit. Yeah. About these characters. And I already knew where I was going to start anyways. The very first beginning, the, the very first beginning, at the beginning, the very first story is Frankenstein's monster, mm-hmm. where Frankenstein is immortal. He has been kissed by Cain, mm-hmm. right? T- because Cain wants him to build an army. Yeah. And the very first monster that was created out of this army was the Invisible Man. But that failed miserably because the Invisible Man has gone insane. So the next step was Frankenstein, right? Yeah. And then Kane, there's, so, so the story doesn't revolve around Kane at all. Kane is, Kane is outside of this right now. Yeah. The whole story revolves around Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. And this guy, Walter William, is actually his real name is Gabriel Vaughn, <clears throat> but there's reasons for that. Gabriel has come from, and I've already mentioned this. He's already an angel and everything else. He is. He he works for the Vatican. And the Vatican has an underground monster hunter company. Uh. Call it the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Development, okay? BPRD, you know, BPRD Vatican, right? Mm. That's basically what they are. And they're using Gabriel. Didn't they have that in Van Helsing? Kind of. Mine's a better idea. <laughs> Gabriel, they have lots of agents. Yeah. But Gabriel is one of the few angels that have come to Earth 
voluntarily and has had his wings removed. He cannot return to heaven. You know, and he is not Gabriel of he's not he's not the Gabriel of heaven. That just happens to be his name. Yeah. He you know, not the not the main fucking archangel Gabriel. Yeah. Right? But super powerful angel regardless. Yeah. He has a sidekick which is a trencher, right? This is Gabriel is the guy that will go in and be able to do this stuff. The trencher is the the hellboy uh-huh. of this universe, okay? He he is the he's the fucking muscle. Uh-huh. And when things get bad, he he goes in first and and roughs everybody up while Gabriel goes in to clean everything up. Yeah. Basically. And think of it like Indiana Jones and Sala, right? Yeah. Kinda like that. You know, the trencher's not like this big behemoth fucking comic guy. He's 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 an average dude. Mm-hmm. But He's a powerful, powerful individual. So with these two characters, what they do is, you know, um, how I introduced them was they are fighting. Well, no, no. Gabriel is actually fighting a uh, a demon that has been summoned, uh-huh. a tentacle like, like Yogg-Sothoth, you know. <laughs> and he's in a carriage and they're careening out of control on the streets of London, not the streets of London, but like in the background and the the back end, the back forty of London or England, you know. Yeah. And the the carriage is being pulled by uh, nightmare horses, green flames and this and that and the other thing. And you see like a tentacle. You see a hand come out, right? And you hear you hear him screaming, yelling, "You motherfucker!" Right? And it's not that, but you know, yeah. God damn it, been punching him and punching him, right? Yeah. It's like I didn't sign up for this shit. <laughs> yeah. As, as this fight is going on, and the the person that is is uh, the driver of the carriage is kind of like death, not death. You know, he's not the angel of death, but he's, he's, he has a skull with green flames and everything he's else. He's like the Charon. Yeah, Charon. Yeah. Kind of, but not really. And and you just see this big fight going on in the background and, and, and like, a, like a beam of laser, a laser beam shoot out, which is like this monster's eye mm-hmm. is, is trying to kill him, yeah. but can't focus on him. So it's just like random laser shots out. It's right in the eyeball. And he's, that's what he's doing. He's, uh, he's a motherfucker. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to murder you, right? Yeah. And just beat the shit out of this whole thing and and kills both of them, right? And finally he's done. He crawls out and the guy, the horse guy looks at him. And he's about to do some magic on him. He just whips Indiana Jones it, right? Yeah. Whips out the gun and fires and kills him. Boom. Yeah. Done. As... The carriage is just going balls out, you know, like down this fucking treacherous mountain or down this road that has edges and everything else, but it never yeah. seems to fall off. Yeah, for one reason or another. Supernatural. Yeah, as it, it as as he kills the rider, the horses dissipate. Mm-hmm. Now he's really out of control, right? And then it, then the the fucking carriage just you know just coasts down this hill. Mm-hmm. How it does it, no one knows. It's kind of more of a straight line, and then ends up in front of an inn. Okay. And then he gets out and brushes himself off <sighs> and looks up and goes and dials something in. You don't see him and says, meet me at, you know, the hog's whistle in or whatever the fuck he is. Right. And walks inside and sits down and orders a drink. Mm. And that's the beginning of the story. Yeah. Right. And I got that idea from Hellboy. Yeah. You get the introduction to the character. You see his personality. Right, you you see how you know how his skills, 
Yeah. You get you get introduced to the film's humor. Uh-huh. All that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's what I wanted to do with this whole mummy thing is when you introduce it, mine went one of two ways. I went with like he is like he's Indiana Jones, right? Yeah. And he's in the, the he's in South America in Peru. Yeah. And he ends up in a cave and and trying to get some some fucking thing. So basically you know who it is. I watched Indiana Jones twice last week. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Did you? Did you know that the Ark doesn't show up until sixty five minutes into the movie? Okay. They get to the they get to the tomb where they start digging at fifty seven minutes. Okay. That's exactly halfway through the movie. Fifty seven minutes. Which is weird. Okay. And then they start digging, and then ten minutes later, you see the arc. So now with and this movie is not two hours. This movie is an hour and fifty minutes long. Yeah. So with less than with, with about forty five minutes left in the movie, the rest of the time is them going after the arc and blowing it up. Yeah. That's it. The whole lead up for the movie is the first hour and ten minutes. Yeah. And then they find the arc. Find the arc. <coughs> Then get back the arc. <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 Indiana Jones. You meet Indiana Jones at the beginning. You know that he's an explorer. You know he, he he's kind of an archaeologist, but you don't know if he's a grave robber type archaeologist. You know. Yeah. And you know that he has a rival, Belloc, right? Yeah. <laughs> and that's I think where mine fails is it doesn't really establish a good rival, but it's a mummy movie, so it, that can be refined. Um, and then from there we cut to him teaching a class Yeah, and we learn about Marcus Brody and we learn more about their, their excitement for going after the Ark, you know, and we know, we learn more about Indiana Jones and then we meet Marion. So we learn even more about Indiana Jones and then there's that great bar fight. Yeah. I'm your goddamn partner. Yeah. Whiskey. <laughs> Shoots them. Shoots them both. Shoots them both. That that bar fight is one of the best bar fights ever filmed. Oh, it's great! It's funny, and then they, and then it's thrilling, they go to Egypt, and we learn more about Indy. We learn about Sala, and then there's that fight again. Marion gets kidnapped, dies. It's great. I mean, about. you have the, the scene where he's sitting. They're just sitting there, just bullshitting. Yeah, and it's all you know. Belloc. You know, yeah, they Belloc. call him. They call him Belosh. Yeah. <laughs> Belloc Yeah And then Belloc. And then the whole part Where you see his family And, and then Sala explains The tomb Yeah This is not meant for man This is other world mm-hmm. People have died over this Yeah This is not something That we should be going after Yeah And he's dead serious Other than that He's in a great mood When Marion dies Or quote unquote dies Yeah You know He says to Indy You know Indy goes Hey Marion's dead I know my friend Life goes on See and there's children, and as India's, is uh, and 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 Sala, as, as as happy as he is, is kind of sad, but he's being serious. Yeah. Which is life goes on. There's the proof in front of you. Yeah. So no matter what happens, things move forward. Yeah. At all times, and he he's there to keep Indy honest. He's like, hey, I, my friend, I have to, you know, let's go see my friend. He may have some information about the whatever. <laughs> Bad dates. Yes. <laughs> and then the bad dates. But we, this is learning about Indy. Yeah. Nothing more. And then, of course, you have the, the, the Belloc stuff, but 
it doesn't cut back and forth and cut back and forth. It just goes straight into it. Yeah. And then Belloc shows up later on, you know, what was once yours is now mine. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> There's some great throwaway lines in this movie. Yeah. There's nothing you possess that I cannot, whatever. <laughs> yeah. That I cannot have. Yeah. We are definitely having a better time up here. Yes. Or much more comfortable up here. <laughs> All right. Why don't you come down here and show me? <laughs> can't compete, man. I. Yeah, that's what makes... Like, if I were to remake a movie, or if I were to make a movie, I would fucking just copy that movie almost scene for scene. Make it a little bit different. You know, there's obviously going to be some differences. Mm-hmm. But the story, the thread... Yeah. You're following this character from point A to point B. And then at an hour into the movie is where you finally finally hit that title where it says Raiders of the Lost Ark, right? Yeah. The Lost Ark. When you finally find the Lost Ark, not 10 minutes into the movie, not jumping to conclusions and not pulling out, you know, bad characters and whatever else. Yeah. And he goes from point to point to point to point and it's always moving forward. I need this person because this person has this. And then I need to meet this person because this person has these skills and knows what he's doing. That's that's the point to point to point to point. Yeah. But you need that MacGuffin. You need that starting point, which is Abner Ravenwood. Don't you find it odd that an American would be so prominently talked about in Nazi, you know, Nazi cables? Mm-hmm. Oh, Abner's no Nazi. Fucking Marcus Brody, the guy that played Marcus Brody was brilliant in this movie. As him and Indiana Jones, him and Harrison Ford were so good in that scene. Yeah. As they're talking and having this dialogue back and forth, you know, as as Harrison Ford's like, there's some Egyptian pharaoh, Shishak. Yes. You know? Yeah. And it's natural. Yeah. It's not forced. No. Like two guys that know their history. Yeah. And And they love talking about it. Yeah. They love talking about it. It's yeah. as poor can sit there and it's like, oh, oh, I guess then we came to the right men. Yeah, but you believe the characters. You yeah. totally believe the characters. Okay, and, and he's drawing on the fucking chalkboard mm-hmm. and he's getting all amped up and excited. Yeah. And he walks next to Brody and grabs him. You know, out of this sheer excitement, he grabs Brody and they both know at that moment intrinsically that they are going to be going after the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Because they both, he, Brody even mouths it to him. They found the city of Tannis. Yeah. It's amazing. It gets me fucking emotional. Yeah. Like excited, giddy emotional type shit. Yeah. And that and movie's been out for 35 fucking years. And even The Last Crusade, the setup for that <laughs> was almost as good. Yeah. You know? Jeffrey Donovan. The place where the cup of Christ resides. Don't know? trust anyone. Yeah. It just almost, almost, I mean, as close as you can get. You know what I mean? As close as you can get. To film perfection. Yeah. All right. So. <laughs> Sorry I went along, but I think, man. I think from now on, the pitch should be its own thing. Yeah? Sure. Especially if, since you've got a whole fucking draft. <laughs> my, my next one may not be like yeah. a fucking, like a fucking refined draft. Uh, mine has a mummy and a hero and an amulet. And there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I got a beginning. You see the mummy. I got a middle. You see the mummy. Got an end. The hero wins. Yay. The hero kind of wins, but not really. But it's okay because there's another movie where there's a chance. Yeah. And he has to have his foot massaged. Good show. Jolly good show. Jolly good show indeed. 
Hakuna Matata, bitches. This is the Cinescape Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening to the show. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email us or tweet us. My handle is at Joe Spiegel underscore Joe. My handle. That's what I call it, my handle. You can tweet me at. You can send me a tweet at. Tweet me at. You can follow me. Fuck off. All right. Yeah, follow. You can you know, follow me or tweet me at. Send a tweet to. All right. Follow. Follow would be better. You can follow me on Twitter. <laughs> you can Twitter me. You can follow me on Twitter at Joe Spiegel underscore Joe. And for me, it is at. What about you? MPS 5150 because I make it easy. Yeah, you do. Well, that's the end of the show. Thank you for listening. And please remember, share the podcast. Hey, hey, hey. What is it, Joe? Yeah. You see that little button over there? Yeah. Yes. All you what do button? The little share button. Which button is that? It says share. Sometimes it's a little arrow that goes in a circle. Regardless, it's there. Or more. So share. Share. Share that podcast. Click that shit. <laughs> it's simple. Please. We put we do put some work into this. Not a lot. Not a lot. Not as much as we should. But still, all you have to do is click the share button. Yeah. Click anything that says share. Like on our movie reviews, there's a Facebook share and a Google Plus. Pick one. We Sp- prefer Facebook, but you know. Spread the love. Help us grow. Spread the love and we will spread our legs open for you. No, we won't. I take showers. Well, what is that one? Show the balls? <laughs> open your balls. Open your balls. <laughs> shower, yeah. Share, share the, share the show. Share the hell out of it. <laughs> share. Give her some love. I sound like little Nick. Have a good night. <laughs> this is the end. It's the end. Finito! The end, I tell you! We're all going to nibble the dust! Or go fuck yourself. <laughs> there we go. All right.